Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Please join me in praying. God, thank you so much for this day, God, and we do pray that you'd bring your kingdom here. And Lord, we as a church offer ourselves up when we say use us for your kingdom purposes. We pray, God, that the name of Jesus would be glorified in this city And we pray, God, that you would use our church to that end. In fact, God, as we read this passage today, Romans 12, I pray that you would equip us and build us up so that we'll be people who are truly sent out and that we would go and share the goodness and the love and the gospel of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And God's people said... Amen. Well, it's been an eventful week for me here. As some of you know, it's my very first week. It was a week of firsts, lots of firsts this week. I had my first day in the office. We got an awesome staff here. Thank you so much for your appreciation. That means a lot to us. Really grateful. We have an awesome team. Uh, I had my very first, at least in a long time, early November snowfall. Thank you, Western Pennsylvania. Also had, this this was big, I had my very first MTO at Sheets for lunch this week. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm an official Yinzer now. I feel like I've made it. And then I had my very first week of living in my in-law's basement. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like the premise of a sitcom? That's my life right now. So, you know, excited about that, grateful for my in-laws. I also had my very first parish council meeting. We have great leadership in the church. I'm really excited to work with our parish council. And uh, during our meeting, we had a devotional. John Guest shared a devotional. By the way, pray for John. He's ill this morning. We had a devotional John shared, and John taught us out of the word. And here's what he challenged us with. He challenged us to be people who live authentically. Now, I struggled with this all week. I I wrestled with this and thought about what John had said. John, if you're listening, I was actually listening to what you said. And as I considered that, I thought, well, what does it mean to be authentic? You hear people say that someone's the real deal, right? What does it mean to be the real deal? What does it mean to be authentic? I wrote some things down. You know, people, if you ask them, might say things like this, that it's, it's a person who's a nice person, a kind person. It might be something that someone sees as a characteristic of someone who's the real deal. It might be that a person is down to earth. We value that, especially here in Western Pennsylvania, right? That's, that makes you the real deal. Maybe it's good manners. Maybe it's, there's a sense of transparency about you, that that makes you the real deal. Or maybe it's that you're a hard worker. We value work ethic too, don't we? That that, that makes you the real deal. Is it those things? Maybe. And then I thought about a deeper question. And the deeper question is this. Am I the real deal? Am I authentic? I'm particularly talking about my walk as a Christian. Am I the real deal? Am I authentic? I'm wrestling with this. In fact, I think it's a great question for everyone here to wrestle with. And so let me ask you, are you the real deal? I mean, are you an authentic Christian? It's a big question. And it begs another question, which is, well, what does it mean to be an authentic Christian, right? What's it mean? Well, I got a list here again, okay? Is it worship attendance? 
Is it someone who shows up week after week here for worship or in another church? Is that what makes you authentic? Is it the memorization of Bible verses? If you got lots of Bible memorized, does that make you an authentic Christian? Is it precise theology? Is it, is it raising your hands in worship as we sing songs? Or is it the ability to pray out loud? What is it? What is it that makes a person the real deal, an authentic Christian? Because here's the thing, and I think you're probably with me in this. I want to be the real deal. And not for you, but for the Lord. I want, I want the Lord to see my life. I think we want the Lord to see our lives. And we want him to say, wow, there's the real deal. People who genuinely love me and are, are living to, to, to serve me and to follow me. That's what we want. Well, let me tell you, the Bible... The Bible defines for us what it means to be an authentic Christian, to be the real deal. And we're going to look at a passage today that actually really clearly spells it out for us. If you would turn with me to Romans 12 in the New Testament, it's one of the letters that Paul wrote to the Romans, obviously. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8, and there is wisdom here for us about living as an authentic Christian. Are you with me? You're not with me. Are you with me? Yeah. All right, come on, let's do it. Let's get into this. Romans 12, 1 through 8. You can't let a brother up here struggle like that. You got to say, yeah, we're with you. Come on. All right, so pick it up in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I want to hit a timeout right away. Okay, so Paul starts with this, therefore. Obviously, that means he is hearkening back to something he's already said. If you look at Romans 11, I encourage you to read it this week. If you read the entire epistle of Romans to this point in chapter 12, you'll see that what he's talking about is the gospel. And when he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, when he says this, he's saying this essentially, if you really believe the gospel, then you will live this way. And he's getting ready to spell it out. He's saying, look, if you really understand the gospel, then you will live this way. This is important. What Paul is showing us here is that doctrine and duty go together. You can't have one without the other. Your beliefs and what you do, how you live your life, they are, they are intertwined with one another. What Paul is saying is what we believe determines how we behave. It's really an important thing. That's why we study God's word. We have to know what we believe. Our doctrine is important because it influences the very way we live, the way we behave. And so here we are, Romans 12. Paul is going to give us a progression of understanding how we should live if we're people who love Jesus and believe the gospel. So let's go back into it. So verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is foundational. This idea of a living sacrifice. If you look at the Greek, that word sacrifice is actually translated as killing. Very graphic, killing. And so what Paul was saying is that we are to live as living killings. It's an oxymoron. The audience that he was speaking to would have been very, very familiar with the idea of a sacrifice all over the ancient world. 
people offered sacrifices. Let me tell you about these sacrifices. Again, this is a little bit, this is a little bit weird. It's a little bit gory, but you got to hang in here because this will help you understand what Paul's talking about. When he's talking about a sacrifice, people, of course, are thinking of something that is bloody. Here's the idea, essentially, of a sacrifice, is that when there is sin, when there's brokenness, when there are wrongs, the way that they are atoned for is through something dying. When there is sin, something has to die. This was a part of the Jewish tradition. And so the listeners would have understood this. But what Paul was saying is not that somehow that we should live to try to make up for our sin. He is not saying that our living sacrifice atones for our sin. That's not the message here. Because that's not what happens. But it conjures this up, this idea of a bloody sacrifice, something that atones for sin. But in this case, it doesn't atone for sin. It is an offering of joy. It's not an offering of repentance. It's an offering in light of what God's done for us. That's what a living sacrifice is. He continues, you know, and he talks about this living sacrifice. And another thing they would have thought of is finality. You see, when there was a sacrifice in the old system, there was a sense that it was over and done with. Whatever sin had been committed, that it was paid for by that sacrifice and you moved on. There was a great deal of pomp and circumstance and very specific instructions for these sacrifices. And when they happened, when they were through, they could turn the page and walk away. A living sacrifice is not like that. A living sacrifice is something that's happening perpetually. It's unending. It's something that we're doing all the time, over and over again. In fact, even in this very moment. It's a living sacrifice. It's unceasing. It's actually a very intense way of living. Paul calls us to be living sacrifices. And here's another thing that this audience would have thought of, understanding sacrifice. They would have understood that that means that something has to be put to death. Something has to be put to death. And there's an absolute application of what Paul's talking about for us as people who believe in Jesus and follow him, that something has to be put to death, but it's not an animal. The thing that has to be put to death is our right to live however we want. That is what Paul is calling us to, living sacrifices. People who put to death their right to live however they want. Now, I'm aware that there's a, a, a variety of people in the audience today. Some of you are here for the first time. We're so glad you're here. Some of you who are listening at home, the idea of Christianity might be new to you, and you might be thinking to yourself, this is why I don't like Christianity. This is exactly why. I'm an American, and I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Well, let me tell you something. I really believe that all of us are sacrificing for something. If you're not sacrificing for God, you're sacrificing for something. It might be your work. Perhaps you're sacrificing big time for your, for your work and your job. It might be for another person that you're sacrificing for. It could be for possessions. You may be sacrificing for possessions. Bob Dylan sang a long time ago, you got to serve somebody. And everyone in this room is serving something and serving somebody. Why not serve the Lord? You know, everything else that you and I could pursue in life will turn up empty. It'll run out. It'll come to the end of itself. But God is infinitely kind and gracious and loving. And so when we give ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, 
we actually have fullness of life. You got to serve somebody. Serve the Lord. Paul doesn't really quit there. He, he has more to say. We could do so many sermons on just this, this verse. But he talks about that we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Again, take yourself back to ancient times. This was mind-blowing to the Roman audience because the Romans had little regard for the human body. They saw the body as unimportant. It was the mind and the soul that were the important parts as far as they were concerned. And so for Paul to say to them, you have to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, here's what he's saying. God doesn't just want your body. He wants all of you. He wants 100% of you. He wants the inward parts. He wants the outward parts. He wants the spiritual parts. He wants the physical parts. He wants your mind and your body and your soul, and he wants you to give it up to him as an offering, a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Here is the message, essentially, of Romans 12.1. The message is this, an invitation for you and I to take our hands off of our lives. I mean, so often we, we grasp our lives. We hold on to things. We hold on to our time. We hold on to our talent. We hold on to our treasure. We hold it tightly. And the invitations of Romans 12.1 to be a living sacrifice is to take our hands off of our life. That no longer do we hold control over those things, but that rather I don't hold on to what I want to do or where I want to go or who I want to be. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. This is also Paul. And here's what he says. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's a living sacrifice. We take our hands off of our lives. That is the calling that we have as Christians. If you're a believer, from Romans 12, chapter 1. And here's what I would say. Authentic Christianity. If we're talking about being authentic, we're talking about being the real deal. Authentic Christianity invites you to take your hands off of your life. That is the invitation that we have before us today. The text continues. Verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this progression I told you about is continuing here. And as we take our hands off of our lives, God begins to change the way that we think. Listen, the, the world wants to control your mind. And I think we can all think of ways that this happens, right? There's a lot of different ways that the world is trying to control everybody's minds. How you use your money, how you use your time, how you use your talents. Yes, the world wants to control your mind, but God wants to transform your mind. He wants to change it in the healthiest way possible. I do think of this in terms of how I use my time, my treasure, my talent. We have these keys up here that are reminding us of this. This in-gathering season is an opportunity for us to give in those ways. And here's my tendency. My tendency is to want to keep all those things for me. I want to use my time the way I want to use my time, for my pleasure. I want to use my talents to benefit me. I want to use my treasure to get the things that I desire to have. Am I the only one who struggles with this? Do you struggle with this also? 
This is what our struggle is. But God wants to change our minds. God wants to change our minds. He wants to change the way we think. You know how he does that? Give you a couple ways. The first way he does that is through his word. Are you reading the word of God? The greatest way that you and I can engage in God's process of transforming our minds is to read the Holy Scriptures, to fill our hearts and our minds with the truth of God's word. Look, get into a regular habit of doing this. Like we would, lo- we would love if everyone here, if we all joined together and we were reading daily the word of God. But wherever you are, if you never read God's Bible, then read it once this week. If you're reading it once a week, then start to pick it up every day if you can. Spend time in God's word. It's a great way for us to have our minds transformed, to enter into this relationship with God. And what God does is he uses his Holy Spirit. He uses his Holy Spirit inwardly. The world wants to use outside forces to change us. God uses an inward force, his spirit, to transform us. And so listen, authentic Christianity changes the way that you think about everything in life, certainly your time, treasure, and talent. Let's keep on going in this text. We're in verse 3 now. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So here we are in this progression again. Paul's building an argument. And as we take our hands off of our life, what happens? God gives us a new perspective on ourselves. There are two people, dear friends, that I had I'd served with long ago, many years ago. And uh, we had great times in ministry. These are really good people. One of the people has a, has a, a sense of confidence. They are brimming with confidence, actually. The other person actually had a, a lack of confidence, struggled with confidence. And so here's what it would look like. We would do things in ministry, and the first guy who was bringing, brimming with confidence felt like he could do everything and really left no room for anyone else to do anything because he had so much confidence. On the other hand, the person who had the lack of confidence deterred themselves by their low thoughts about themselves and their abilities to do anything. And so rarely did this person's gifting, talent, come forth because they had such a a lack of confidence in what God had poured into them. Let me tell you something, and, and these are both friends. I say this with grace. Both of them are guilty of pride. Both are guilty of pride. We tend to think of pride as something that's thinking too highly of yourself. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about pride. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, humility is not thinking of yourself. I'm sorry, let me start this again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Did you catch that? We tend to think that humility is only, or uh, uh, arrogance or, or, or pride is only thinking of ourselves too highly. He says, look, it's, it's thinking of yourself, period. If you think of yourself too lowly, If you think of yourself too highly, then you are guilty of pride. And that's what this is talking about. Right here in verse 3. That we should have sober judgment. If we're in Christ, we don't think of ourselves too highly. But we also don't think of ourselves too lowly. Because we know what God has done for us through Christ. And we believe in his gifting and his life in us. And so we don't value ourselves too lowly. But yet at the same time, we're not too much on a high horse, right? And so here's the thing again, we're talking about authentic Christianity, the real deal. Authentic Christianity 
changes the way you see yourself. You no longer see yourself as lesser than. You're not. In Christ, you you are more than a conqueror, the scriptures tell us. You have a gifting from God. But at the same time, we're not puffed up and we're not arrogant. We have a right view of ourselves. That, That word sober means we have a right perspective on our lives. That is what authentic Christianity does for us. It's all building to a crescendo. And here we go. We're going to look at verses 4 through 8 here. Read with me in the text. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, the many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, well then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Here we are. This is the progression. This is the big crescendo. As we take our hands off of our lives, God reveals our giftedness. This is what the living sacrifice thing is really building up to in a practical way. There are two things I want to point out to you about that passage I just read to you. Number one is this, is that everyone who is a believer has at least two gifts. Did you see in verse 6 there? It says that we have different gifts, plural, with an S. That means that you don't just have one gift, you have at least two gifts. And here's the other thing about the gifts, everyone has different gifts, You know what this does? It creates like this unique fingerprint situation in everyone who's a Christian. If you're a believer, there's like a unique fingerprint to who you are. And that fingerprint might be the thing that gives access for another person into the kingdom of God. There is something about the way God has created you and wired you that empowers you and enables you through his gifting, through the spirit at work in you, that allows you to reach people that no one else could potentially reach. You can reach them because of the giftedness that's in you. Here's what this means. There is no such thing as an unemployed Christian. There's no such thing. There is no unemployment line at the church, let me tell you. No bread and cheese here given out, folks. Everyone has a job. Everyone has a responsibility in the life of the church. So let me tell you, if you say that you're following Jesus, but you show up here to only be served and not to serve, you are not truly following Christ. Every Christian is called with their gifts and their talents to serve the body. Not only to be served, Jesus Christ himself came not to be served, but to serve. That's our example. That is a responsibility that we have as believers. And listen, if you're only coming to serve, and not to, I'm sorry, if you're only coming to be served and not to serve, you're actually resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The work of the Holy Spirit calls us to service. Look, we don't gather here to simply feel good, get a little shot in the arm for the week, live our lives however we want to. We gather here to be equipped for service, to worship God together, and to go out and live the mission of Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to. I think John Guest calls it being pew fodder. Have you heard John say that? We're not called to be pew fodder, whatever that is in England. 
I'm still trying to catch up with John. We're called to be people who are living sacrifices. And as living sacrifices, we have gifts, and those gifts are called to be used. Do you see it? Look, I would say this, as the, as the, the new senior pastor at Christ Church, here's what we want to have. We want to have a culture of serving. Not an emphasis, a culture of serving. It is, it is deeply formed in the DNA of Christ Church at Grove Farm that we are a people who serve. And why do we serve? Not because we're do-gooders. We serve because we follow Jesus and because of the life that he's called us to, because of what Romans chapter 12 says, we're living sacrifices. We're people who are up for his service. And whatever he calls us to do, we are there and we are people who have bought into a culture of serving. And that means that we serve one another inside the church. And it also means we serve our neighbors outside the walls of this place. We do both. It is who we are. So let me talk tough for just a minute here with us. So when I get a report that tells me that there is actually a shortage of volunteers in our children's ministry, I can't believe it. Because we are people who love Jesus. And certainly God has equipped and gifted this body for everything we need. How can there be a shortage of volunteers in any area of the ministry? Certainly children. We believe in children. We believe in the next generation. How can that be? It can't be. Because we are a people who desire to be authentic Christians. And listen, authentic Christianity changes the way that you give of yourself. It changes the way you give of yourself. No longer do you, do you think about how much time it's going to take or if it's going to be something you enjoy. We understand that we are called to be living sacrifices, and that means that we use our gifts and our talents and our time and our treasure to be a part of the work of the kingdom of God. So let me tell you, when I was in my early 20s, I thought that I was the real deal. I thought that, that I was an authentic Christian. I had a sense of being called to ministry, a sense that God was calling me to ministry. And I thought that there was a simple plan to follow, that I would first get some education. So I, I, my wife and I, newlyweds, we got in a car and we drove to Massachusetts, and I was going to go to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. I had my application in hand, ready to do this. And we spent a weekend there, and I really just felt like the Lord was saying, this is not what I have for you. I was kind of confused by that because obviously I felt called to ministry and I knew I needed to do this. So there was another thing that came up. There was a place down south. There was a school of ministry. A friend had told me about it. And I thought, well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's my next step. Maybe that's the plan. I need to do that. And so we drove in a car. We went down south. We spent a weekend. And I also had application in hand, ready to go. And I felt like God was telling me once again, no, this isn't it. I was confused. In fact, I remember being in the hotel room with Lisa that night. And I wept. I mean, I wept because I thought, God, I'm confused. I said yes to you. I said I'll serve you. I said I'll, be, I'll, I'll follow this call to ministry. Why am I getting these closed doors? Why am I getting this no? What is up with this? Here's what I realized years later. I hadn't taken my hands off my life. I was working according to my plan and what I thought we should do. I, I was working off of, of the, the Craig Geergo plan of execution. I hadn't taken my hands off of my life. And here's my guess. My guess is that there are some people in here today who have yet to take their hands off of their life fully too. It's hard to do. 
In fact, you may say, well, God, I'll serve you. I will serve you as long as it's in the cafe and not in the kids' ministry. <laughs> or you'll say, God, I will, I will serve you as long as my reputation with my friends stays intact. Or God, I will serve you. I want to serve you, but it has to fit into my time schedule. doesn't fit into my time schedule, well, then I can't do that. We tend to do this. Here's the bottom line. The key to service is taking your hands off of your life. That's the bottom line. The key to service is saying, okay, I'm letting go. I'm taking my hands off my life. And all of a sudden you enter in to this life of serving God as a living sacrifice, which we're called to do. And let me tell you something. This is difficult, isn't it? This is hard. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. And I'm looking in some eyes here and I'm seeing, what do I do with this? How do I do this? Here's the secret. The secret to letting go of your life, to taking the hands off, is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the ultimate living sacrifice. He is the ultimate living sacrifice. He is the one, the Son of God, fully God, fully human. He went to the cross. And what did he do there? He sacrificed. He gave his life only to see it raised up and resurrected. He's the ultimate living sacrifice. And Jesus Christ, he is the real deal. He walked the walk. He talked the talk. He loved passionately. He spoke truth boldly. He was full of grace. He's the real deal. And let me tell you something. Jesus Christ took his hands off of his life for you. And what's the response to that? The response can only be one thing, that we take our hands off of our life for him. That is what we are called to do. Why did Jesus do it? Book of Hebrews tells us why. For the joy set before him. And why do we do it? For the joy in Christ set before us. That is why we live a life of living sacrifice. And that is why we take our hands off of our lives. Listen, the key to service is taking your hands off your life. Have you done that? I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk to God about it right now. I'm going to lead you through prayer. Would you bow your heads? Let's turn to the Lord. Father, we come to you. And God, we thank you for Jesus, who is the ultimate living sacrifice. Oh God, we praise you. Thank you for sending Jesus, who was full of grace and full of truth and has shown us so much love. We're grateful for him. And God, as we consider Jesus, as we think about him, we know that the only reasonable response is to take our hands off of our lives, much like he took his hands off of his life for us, that we would do the same. God, would you help us with this? It's hard. It's difficult. We are by nature selfish, and we want to use our time, and we want to use our giftedness. We want to use our money, all these things. We want to use them for our own benefit. That's our way. God, would you help us to be people who live for you, who truly live up to the, the, the identity of being people who are living sacrifices. God, I, I pray that you would help us take the hands off of our life today. God, if there's anyone here who has never taken their hands off of their life in the biggest sense, that they've never said, God, I trust you. Christ, I need you. That they would take the opportunity this morning to do that right here in this room. And it's really simple. If you're one of those people who hasn't taken your hands off of your life, here's how you do it. Say to God, I believe in Jesus. God, I believe he's your son. God, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. And when he did, he paid for our sins and entered us into new life. Tell God that in your own words. 
got to believe in Jesus and say, God, I am taking my hands off of my life. I surrender to you. Oh, God, help us. We love you. We thank you. Help us be people who serve. God, I pray that this church would have a culture of service and that we would be a city that shines on the hill and that all of Pittsburgh would be impacted by Christ Church of Grove Farm, not for our glory, but for yours. God, do this, we pray, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, if you're someone who has made a relationship today, entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would love to talk to you out there. I'll be out in the commons. I'd love to shake your hand. Let's live this out together. People of God, people that are surrendered to God and that he uses to make a difference in this city. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.